0: Mark, thank you Heidi, thank you Grace, thank you all for being here this Lord's Day. We have been, as we have thinking about Christmas, we have been thinking about different views of Christmas. We've talked about uh, the angels, we've talked about Mary, we've spoken of Joseph, and uh, today we're going to speak, think about the shepherds, the famous shepherds who, uh, who heard the word from the angels announcing the birth of Christ. The text before us today is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. You may want to follow along in your Bible as I read. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the flocks. Excuse me, I'm going to start over. My my fingers were not able to turn the page. Now I'm ready. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us know, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger Now that when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at all those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So let's look at these shepherds today uh, briefly, perhaps, as we consider Uh, the shepherd's view of Christmas. In verse 8 we're told uh, they were there in the same country. What same country? Well, we've just been reading in the first verses of chapter 20 Bethlehem. Bethlehem is uh, famous to us. We know the town. Uh, It's become a common word in our vocabulary. Cities across the world are named after this famous Bethlehem. The word means house of bread. It's a little village, a little town at that time about five miles south of Jerusalem. Now, remember, Mary and Joseph have come from Nazareth, and it's about 70 miles on the map, or 70 miles, I was going to say, as the crow flies, but then it struck me, crows are unclean. So it's 70 miles as the sparrow flies uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, they probably didn't take the direct route. They probably went down to the Jordan River. It was a little bit longer, um, but... That would be a, anywhere from a three to seven day journey. Seven would be very a relaxed pace. But, but, the, but that's the journey they have made. And again, it was a small village. Uh, archaeologists tell us at that time, a population of maybe 300 people. And so it was a tiny place, a humble place. In fact, it's so humble that Micah mentions that when he prophesies the Savior is to be born there. In the famous passage Micah five two we read, and this was written same time as Isaiah, about seven hundred years before Christ, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and again, just you 're just small, yet out of you shall come forth to me, God, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old from everlasting. So Micah notices how small. Bethlehem is as he predicts it. It was a it was a small town. It's a humble town. We're told the shepherds were living out in the fields at at night. Shepherds were part of Israel's heritage. If you read through your Old Testament, you'll see that. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. David was a shepherd in his youth. Right in the same fields David was from Bethlehem. And so I wonder how often those shepherds would think about the 23rd Psalm, David's shepherd's psalm, and think about David right in these very fields, thinking those thoughts of seeing God as a shepherd. And We're told these, these shepherds there in the fields around Bethlehem were um, wa- keeping watch over their flocks by night. I'll read that again. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Apparently, I don't know if it was in this Sunday school class here, but apparently one student asked the Sunday school teacher, "Why do shepherds wash their socks at night?" So sometimes we don't read clearly enough. They were keeping watch over their their flocks by night. I was about to I'm going to ruin that verse for all of us. Okay. But that's something to notice, day or night, rain or shine, sheep were never abandoned. they they, they couldn't be out on their own. I was struck as we were driving the other day, and uh, it was a cold day, just a couple of days ago, and yet there were the, 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 the cattle out in the field, and I didn't see one cow herder. <laughs> if if, if the sheep or, she, sheeps are herded by shepherds, cows are herded by cow herders, I guess. <laughs> I didn't see one out there with the crook, you know, and, and, and taking care of them. But sheep need constant attention, constant care. So even when the sheep at night were gathered into the sheepfold, um, this enclosure that kept them all there, still there would be a shepherd responsible for watching over them, uh, making sure no one else stole the sheep, making sure no wild animal uh, got to them. So they were never unattended, day or night, rain or cold. Again, if you've, we've shown you pictures, sometimes those sheepfolds in... In Israel were actually caves where they could get in out of their elements and get a fire going. But these flocks in the fields of Bethlehem were a special group. As I said, it's only five miles from to Jerusalem. And so these fields were, were the fields where the temple sheep were raised, those that would be offered as sacrifice. If you think about it, there were daily sacrifices. And what's really interesting to think I think there's good evidence for a certainly a winter birth and perhaps late December, early January actually would fit very well with some of the chronological evidence. So you may hear, well, yeah, but they they would have had their sheep out in in the fields at night in those weather conditions. The temple sheep were. They were out in the rainiest season in February uh, getting ready for the Passover. So, yes, these were the shepherds of the temple flocks and it's only a few months from December to Easter to Passover and at Passover they would need perhaps as many as 200,000 sheep so you could imagine it was a uh, uh, they had a big responsibility so the shocks, this, these flocks were pastured by special men Men who were appropriate. Now, at that time, shepherds were not highly regarded. You might read in, in Genesis where we're told that the, uh, the Egyptians didn't think well of shepherds. That may be more because typically those shepherds were the nomadic types, uh, the, the, uh, the wandering shepherds. And so they were always suspicious. You know, we We're always a little nervous about someone who's not local. You, you see that in some of our small towns and some, someone walks down the street, I don't recognize him. Or you see someone drive through, oh, did, did Charlie get a new car? But, but, you know, so when these shepherds came from another country, there would be suspicion. So I think that was more the issue because you think about it in Israel, shepherding was part of their family heritage and even King David. And more than that, as we all say, the Lord is my shepherd. So, but, but the rabbis kind of had a low view because often, well, for one thing, because of the, what they were doing, raising animals and all the mess that that involves, they often were ritually unclean and couldn't go to the temple. And they had a reputation. One one phrase says they, they had a tar, trouble distinguishing between what was mine and thine. In other words, they, they had a, a knack for uh, snatching things. Well, that was the rabbinic view. But you can imagine that the shepherds responsible for the temple flock, those sheep had to be ritually pure, without spot, without scar, because before they could be sacrificed, a rabbi would carefully scan over it. Uh, I've been struck by the fact that um, you know, we'll talk about in biblical prophecy uh, the second Sunday of, of next year, which is weeks away, we'll have our prophetic update. And uh, one of the things we talk about sometimes are the red heifers for the temple to be uh, happy, ritually purified, they need to have a, a ritually pure red heifer that they can burn, and those ashes are part of the process. Well, rabbis scan over it. If they find one white hair, that that heifer is disqualified. That's how carefully they examine the animals. And so, the, again, the shepherds that are caring for these surely had a, a higher level of regard, but still. You can imagine, the wealthiest were not shepherds. They, they hired someone else to do that. Uh, the, the most powerful were not the shepherds. The nobility were not shepherds. No, I know David became nobility in a sense. But remember when Samuel came to, to David's family, to Jesse, and said, one of your sons is going to be the king of Israel? He brought all, in all his sons, and they went through them, and, and not one was recognized by God as the future king. So the prophet Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And, and I wonder how often David would remind his father, oh, I forgot. <laughs> David. But see, he was so insignificant because he was a shepherd at the time. He was watching the flocks at night. So they brought David in. He was recognized. But, but here's my point. They may not have been viewed as bad. These would have been more trusted, respected shepherds, but still shepherds, the lowly of society. One one preacher put it this way. The shepherds didn't ask God if he was sure he knew what he was doing. Had the angel gone to the theologians, they would have first consulted the commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendars. So he went to the shepherds, men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an axe to grind or a ladder to climb, men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and the Messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags and sleeping in a feeding trough. He came to the shepherds. That were there in the quiet of the night, and it was quite a sight. We see in verses nine to fourteen. We're told, "Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them." So again, it was dark. It was night, if, if, especially being a winter night. We know what that is. It's that seems to strike here right about three o'clock, early. Dark and cold. And as they were standing there, some would have been ta- sitting around the fire, some would have been asleep. One or some, some would be right by the, the sheepfold, making sure, again, all was secure. And we're told suddenly an angel stood right next to them. And more than just a stranger suddenly appearing, and we don't know did he have wings? Was he in armor? Was he shiny white? Was he just in white clothes? How did he look? We're not told. But we are told, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's God's Shekinah glory. The glory of his presence. Moses had a direct exposure to that glory. I remember he, he was shining afterwards. People couldn't look at him for the, just the reflected glory. The glory of the Lord was manifest in the Holy of Holies though it had left the Holy of Holies in the temple in the days of Ezekiel and hadn't been seen in Israel until Christmas night in Bethlehem. But that same brilliant glory was what blinded Saul at noontime. So brighter than the noonday sun blasting into the night, you can imagine their fear And and, and I have to think, when I think of that, I think of Isaiah. Remember, we're told in Isaiah chapter 6, when he he saw the Lord in his temple. Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah said, So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Well, can you imagine as they found themselves surrounded and blinded by the glory of God, they surely must have thought, We are undone. They were terrified. And then verse ten and eleven, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? It's not a time for fear. It's a time for celebration. The angels are bringing, they say, We bring you good tidings. I think that's how it reads Don't be afraid, I bring you good tidings. Literally, in the Greek, it's, I'm evangelizing you. Evangelism is telling people good news. And they're bringing the gospel good news. It's, and it's for all the people. For there is born to this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's interesting is he promises the Savior. This is the Messiah of promise who was, when so often when they thought of the salvation, they thought of it as political, national. Drive out the Romans. But the greatest thing he accomplished was Salvation from the bondage and the penalty of sin. A Savior would save you from your sin. But notice it's he is born to you this day. And those shepherds truly really must have wondered, us? Did you did you did you land in the wrong place? Uh, we're, we're just shepherds. Why us? Why not the priests in Jerusalem? Wouldn't that be the place? Remember, it wasn't too long ago that uh, Zechariah had seen Gabriel there in the temple. though we're not told that he saw his glory, the glory of the Lord. Why don't you go and talk to the priests? Why, don't you, why aren't you talking to the rulers of the Sanhedrin or others uh, maybe who are connected to royalty? Why shepherds? That question has really kind of echoed in my mind this week as I've been thinking about this message. Why the shepherds? And here's the problem. Be careful of expect asking a question for which no answer is given. We're not told why the shepherds. So I'll tell you. Which means put this one on the maybe shelf. But let me make some suggestions that come to mind. Why the shepherds? Well, they were awake and nearby. So they were convenient. That's not too compelling to me. But sometimes uh, a mother is up with a child at night and feels like she's the only one awake. And sometimes there's this longing, someone else surely has to come up and wake up as well. well. The shepherds, because they were close and awake? I don't think so. One thing that's true is the Lord is going to use the image of a shepherd in his own life and ministry. What does Jesus say we're almost there in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. So, so Jesus will take the, the title once held by King David, shepherd. The title, worshipfully and lovingly ascribed to God, to God the Lord is my shepherd, And Jesus announces, I am the good shepherd. And how is he seen to be good? He lays down his life for the sheep. So were shepherds chosen because the shepherd theme would be a part of Jesus' ministry? Perhaps. The shepherds, these shepherds, as I said, were special shepherds. They were charged with the care of the sheep of the temple. And since I understand that this was a winter appearance, they were watching over the Passover sheep. In fact, the Passover lamb was a year old. And so, so any time of year it was, even if it was in the summer, those were the, primarily the, the biggest part of them were, were the lambs that would be the Passover lambs. And Jesus came as the Passover lamb lamb. That, what happened in Egypt 1500 years before, when God's wrath of judgment was falling on Egypt, the promise was made to anyone who would trust God's word, believe in the Lord, and show it by putting the blood of a Passover lamb on their doorposts and lintels. That one, God's wrath would pass by them. And so Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. Those who by faith apply the blood of his atonement to our hearts. The wrath of God passes by. And so it is appropriate that the the Passover shepherds are the first to come and visit the Passover Lamb. For truly they had through all their lives rejoiced to see another lamb born. But I think especially the shepherds were were chosen because they're the lowly of the low. They have no wealth, power, or prestige. They were humble servants. Frankly, they're the kind of people that you just normally walk by. and We either wouldn't notice or might avert your eye from them at times. If you did notice them, it's only because you got a little close and you could tell that they'd been around the sheep a lot. They were, they, were the not the, they were the kind of people that could just disappear in, in, in the view of so many. They were the lowly of the low. And the Lord has a special heart for that. We see how he speaks, Paul speaks of, to the church in Corinth and reminds them that that's where they were. In 1 Corinthians 26 to 29, Paul writes, See your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are and that no flesh glory in his presence. God delights in saying, I'm not going to choose the mighty but the lowly. Just to show the mighty, their mightiness doesn't impress me. And so as God skipped over Jerusalem and went to the shepherds of Bethlehem, he was making a point. It's not man's prestige or man's uh, honor that he's looking for. And as I thought of that, the passage in Isaiah 57 came to mind. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so the Lord God Almighty doesn't need any mightiness from us and he delights in his loving compassion to the humble. And so I think the Lord made a point of telling his glorious angelic army, go, visit the shepherds in the fields and tell them the Savior is born. It was a quiet night. It was quite a sight. And the shepherds were quick to recite. We see that in verses 15 to 20. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I like the fact that they, uh, I've said this many times, obedience is only obedience if it's immediate and complete. And so what did the shepherds do? They didn't look at each other and say, you know, it's been a long night and I, what a, all this excitement. Let's, let's go to bed and maybe tomorrow we'll go see if we can find the baby. No, what they say? Let's go look now. And, and, and I like, too, their, their complete faith. Let's go see. They had no doubt they were going to find it. They believed God's word to be completely accurate and true. What, what are you looking for? Well, maybe it's a symbol of, no. He said a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. That can't be any but one baby that's going to be, whose mother has to put it in a feeding trough in Bethlehem tonight. There's only 300 people there. Let's go find this baby. We know the Savior is lying in that manger somewhere. Let's go. So we see their faith, and their immediate obedience Verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. What do they they say? They make known all that was told them concerning the child. I, I like their focus. What are they talking about? The child. And who he is. I think today, the shepherd of today would, would instantly be calling the TV stations and cable networks and saying, have I got a story about angels for you? But they don't even mention the angels that we can see right here, except to say, you know, to authentic, authenticate their message. To them, the news isn't... Uh, and a host of angels appeared in Bethlehem the news is a savior child is born and so they came and what do they talk about they everything that was told them about the baby the messiah has come the savior is born you see they've been longing for that for centuries really it goes all the way back to the garden of eden but again and again that promise is is built up over the centuries but over the centuries there has been this longing oh lord when will you send our savior when will you send our messiah can you imagine their joy he's here he's here in fact, I sometimes think about that song, O Come, O Come, or O Come, Emmanuel. You know, the, he, the Savior will come to you. Could we change the words? to he, he has come to you. He's here. And so they came and they found a the baby and said, we knew exactly where we were. There's the feeding trough. Wrapped up like the typical baby. It was that sudden and that's stunning. I did that on purpose. <laughs> And they said, You knew what we would find. We knew what we'd find. And let me tell you more importantly, let me tell you who that baby is. It's him, it's the Messiah, it's our Savior, it's Emmanuel. He's here. They spoke of the child, they didn't speak of themselves. We saw angels. They spoke of the child what a reminder to us that is. That the message is not us. It's not about us. It's it's about Jesus Christ. So often the gospel gets, I think, muddied when people kind of make it about a person. You you know, know, your problems will be solved. The the key is, it's Jesus Christ who died for our sins. It's, it's the, the focus of the gospel is Jesus Christ, recognizing who he is. Yes, our desperate need, but that's the whole point. We're nothing and he's everything. We need his everything to fill our nothingness. We need his righteousness to replace our sinfulness. A savior has been born. And so they said, um, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they told everything that the Lord had told them through the angels. And and there in Bethlehem, they do speak of what they saw. But that's again to substantiate their message. Verse 20, their shepherds returned glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. As it was told them, again, what had they seen? What they were told they would see. The babe fulfilling the prophecy of the angels. We're told the story doesn't end with them finding the promised baby. As they went, they told everyone. Again, not guess what we saw, angels, but guess what we saw? Messiah is two doors down. Messiah is the next tree over. Messiah's here at Bethlehem. They told everyone they met when they'd heard about the Savior in the manger. And I imagine, what do you think happened when they got back to the sheep that night? I don't know if too, too many of them went to sleep right away, do you think? They sat around that fire. They probably stalled as long as they could around... Uh, the baby, but then they all talked with each other and maybe started thinking through the scriptures they knew and who this baby was. They talked about God, his grace, his glory, that they'd been in the midst of the Shekinah glory of God. They praised him again they weren't even but they weren't talking about how great the angels were. They were talking about the God of grace and God of glory. And God's word fulfilled and a savior given to the humblest, to the lowest, to the most lost, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Did they fully understand how that would happen? Well, they probably thought of Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will give birth to a child. I'm not sure if they could have thought through Isaiah 53 that he would bear our sins. By his stripes, we would be healed. But they knew he was the Savior who would deal with their sin. So as we think about this passage, we see God's grace toward the humble and lowly. He's, God's not oppressed with man's uh, accomplishments or status like we are. He sees the heart and he sees a need of grace. We see God's heart for the lowly. And by the way, in case you're wondering, that's everyone in this room. The lowly. The sinner who needs God's saving grace. It's been said at the foot of the cross, the the ground is level. Everyone a sinner in need of God's grace. We see the example of the separates, by the way. Ready to believe quick to obey. That's what God calls us to. Ready to believe, quick to obey. And the shepherd's response to grace is joy and an eagerness to share it with others. This is the season of gift giving and sometimes we'll be so excited about the new gift we got, whatever it might be. I got a new car. I got a new steering wheel cover for my old car. <laughs> Whatever it may be, but quick to talk about, oh, you know, how great the gift I got. Is there any gift as great as Christ? Are we as quick to tell others about the greatest gift of all? May we be challenged by these. Humble shepherds, quick to believe, quick to obey, and quick to tell others, God's grace has come. Again, I've shared before, a Christian is really like a beggar telling other beggars where he found food. That's our calling. Let me read some words from uh, Alexander McLaren, such a story as they had to tell would burn its way in the utterance of the most reticent and shyest. But have Christians a less wonderful message to l- deliver or a less needful one, if the spectators of the cradle could not be silent, how impossible it ought to be for the witnesses of the cross to lock their lips. They didn't know the full story as we do. If they couldn't Keep it in. How can we? Again, the focus of their joy, their hope, their trust is God. A gospel message that is all about me is missing the point. The gospel is about a God of grace and mercy. And I'm just, uh, I'm just the the, 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 I make his glory shine more brightly because of the darkness of my heart. I've told the example of the jeweler. Um, one of my professors one time went into one of the great department stores. It's no longer there. And they had an incredible jewelry section. And he knew the jeweler. And he said, come over here. I want to show you something. And this was decades ago. And he said, hold out your hand. And he, and he dropped a diamond into his hand. And he said, that's worth about $500,000. And he looked at it and said, I'm not impressed. <laughs> Why would, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he polished it a little bit and then he brought out one of those black felt cloths and put it on and all of a sudden it radiated and he, he marveled at the beauty of that diamond. You and I are that black felt cloth. God's glory shines best when it's seen next to our need for his grace. We make his glory shine when we trust in him as Savior. Father, we thank you for a season to remember your great glory and your great grace. Lord, I do pray if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, may they see the Savior has come for them. May they believe in him, trust in him as Savior. Father, for those of us who know our Savior, who've looked upon him with the eyes of faith, Our Father, open our mouths to share our joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.